Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Now before I continue, I made a bet. I bet that the Edmonton Oilers would defeat the Winnipeg Jets, and I made this bet with Reg from the Two Idiots podcast. Unfortunately, I lost that bet. And now I gotta say that the Winnipeg Jets are a better team than the Edmonton Oilers. I'm not happy to say it, I've cheered for the Oilers my entire life, but I made a bet and I gotta stick with it. So, the Winnipeg Jets are better than the Edmonton Oilers. Now, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com. And don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday, and Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. As well as on June 3rd, I'm launching a new podcast called Coast to Coast, which is going to look at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Every time I come to a month with five Saturdays, I like to use the last Saturday to release what I call a nostalgia episode. In the past, I've covered the history of the Beachcombers, Mr. Dressup, and The Littlest Hobo. Today, I'm looking at the cartoon nearly every Canadian from the 1980s remembers fondly, The Raccoons. At the end of this episode, I'll also feature my interview with Susan Roman, who voiced Melissa Raccoon from seasons two to five. This is the Evergreen Forest. Quiet, peaceful, serene. That is until Bert Raccoon wakes up. Luckily, he has some good friends to help him out. Life would be simple in the forest, except for Cyril Sneer. And his life would be simple, except for the raccoons. The beginning of the raccoons comes down to one man, Kevin Gillis who conceived of the show in the 1970s when he was working on other shows such as Celebrity Cooks, which starred Bruno Gerussi of the Beachcombers. The idea for the show then evolved with Gillis working with Gary Dunford, and they would develop the concept of Ralph Raccoon. Eventually, Dunford would drop out of the project and Gillis would take it over and he met with Sheldon Wiseman, an Ottawa lawyer who liked the idea of the series. Together, they would put together a group of animators, musicians, and writers to create the first special that would star the characters. The Christmas Raccoons broadcast on December 17, 1980, and Canadians would receive their first glimpse of the Evergreen Forest. The story would follow Ranger Dan along with his children, Tommy and Julie, and their sheepdog Schaefer. Ranger Dan is concerned about trees disappearing in the forest, and he goes off to investigate. Meanwhile, three raccoons, Ralph and Melissa, and their friend Bert, are preparing the raccoon dominium for Christmas, and they soon see the news that the trees of the forest are disappearing. 
In the end, the aardvark millionaire Cyril Sneer is revealed to be the one taking the trees to sell them for lumber, but his son, Cedric, tries to talk him out of the venture. His father ignores him and chops down several trees, including the home of the raccoons. In the end, the animals save the forest and thousands of seedlings have been planted overnight on Christmas Eve. Several cast members who would go on to voice the characters in the show, including Len Carlson and Bob Demir, took part in the special. The special was also narrated by Rich Little, the Canadian Impressionist who is often called the Man of a Thousand Voices. The special was a big hit and it would spawn another special, The Raccoons on Ice, one year later on December 20th, 1981. In that special, it is winter in the Evergreen Forest, and while the raccoons and Schaefer the Sheepdog are enjoying playing hockey on the local lake, they find out that Cyril Sneer is going to build the Cyril Dome over the entire lake. To determine who owns the lake, the raccoons and their friends play a game against Sneer and his bears on the ice. Bert and Cedric wear the jerseys of the New York Islanders in the game, as the Islanders were the powerhouse of the hockey world at the time, while the Bears naturally wore the jersey colors of the Boston Bruins. Cedric also wore the jersey number 22, which was the same number Mike Bossy wore during his Hall of Fame career with the Islanders. The Raccoons win the game and the lake is saved in the process. The second special would receive good reviews, including from the New York Times that stated, quote, the raccoons are an adorable lot, supported nicely by an attractive production. End quote. The Raccoons on Ice would also feature Danny Gallivan, who had spent 32 years beginning in 1952 as a play-by-play man on Hockey Night in Canada, primarily calling the games of the Montreal Canadiens. In the show, he played the play-by-play announcer for the hockey game between the Raccoons and the Bears called Furlin Field Digger. Hey! We should do this more often! Hey! That'll do the trick. Good luck. The second period is underway. The puck is back to... Who is that player? He should be... What an incredible shot. What in blazes? What? Who is that? And the raccoons are on the scoreboard. It's that mystery player again. He's going through the entire team. He's going right in on the board. And it's now 3-2. Here we go again. He's straight up suddenly. He's going through the defense. You dumb chucks! You wouldn't even frighten Goldilocks! A wicked backhand. He scores! With the specials doing well, Wiseman was approached about making a 13-episode television series about the raccoons. But for now, only the specials would be made. A third special would be released on December 13, 1983, and it would be the first to develop the look and feel that would be seen in the later series. The special took on a science fiction feel and was heavily inspired by Star Wars. Originally, it was going to be a full-length film, but instead it was turned into an hour-long special, and it was well-received. Variety would state, quote, A rollicking good adventure filled with space-age animation, high-tech gadgetry, lifting tunes, a lovable sheepdog, and a delightful raccoons team. End quote. A fourth special, The Raccoons Let's Dance, was also produced. In 1984, CBC and the Disney Channel began to fund a new television series based on the specials to be simply titled The Raccoons. The cost to make the first season would be $4.75 million or $10.6 million today. On July 4, 1985, The Raccoons would debut. 
In Canada, it would spend its first season on the CBC on Monday evenings, and with its debut at 7.30pm, The Raccoons became the first animated show since The Flintstones to be broadcast in prime time, beating The Simpsons by four years. For seasons two to three, it would be shown in the block of shows consisting of The Wonderful World of Disney and Fraggle Rock on Sundays. In its fourth season, it would move to Wednesdays and share a block with the powerhouse, The Beachcombers, before finally spending its fifth and last season airing on Tuesdays. The last episode would air on August 28, 1992. Originally, the show was only supposed to run for one season, consisting of 11 episodes, with Gold Rush serving as the series finale. Instead, the show was such a huge hit that the decision was made to keep the show going, which it would for another four seasons. While the first four specials were animated by the Canadian company Atkinson Film Arts, as well as the first season, seasons two to five would see the animation handled by Hinton Animation Studios. In the days before computer animation, all the scenes were composed meticulously of hand-painted cells and background drawings, in which characters are drawn on transparent sheets and overlaid on a static background. The entire run of the show would result in over 500,000 cells. And the coloring department of the show alone had 25 people, as well as another 6 to 8 people who handled backgrounds, and 50 to 70 animators total depending on the episode. Sound effects were also done from scratch, including smashing watermelons to get the sound they needed. The show followed the same characters from the specials as well. There was Bert Raccoon, who was the hero of the series, and the best friend of Ralph and Melissa Raccoon, the married couple he lives with. Energetic, he is impulsive with a kind heart who wants to live life to the fullest. Ralph and Melissa are the more grounded raccoons, with Melissa serving as the voice of reason for the show. Yeah, well, Cedric and I will never be friends again. Now, Bert, I'm sure it's just a, a misunderstanding. No, well, I understand, all right. Cedric's got the best of everything. Batting cages, pitching machines, uniforms, and what have I got? Talent? Yeah, no fancy equipment. Just talent! <laughs> yeah, and an awesome talent. Incredible ability, an arm like a slingshot, the eye of an eagle. And the helping hand of a coach, Bert. I do? Who? Me. You? What do you know about baseball? Well, I know that it takes hard training, discipline, and teamwork. Yeah, teamwork. Me and my awesome ability. Bert Raccoon, the new star of the Mud Hands. <laughs> Cedric Sneer is the son of Cyril Sneer and the best friend of Bert. Cyril Sneer was the villain of the series, who was a ruthless businessman. At the start of the series, he is villainous, but as the series goes on, he softens but keeps his greedy nature. And while he loves money, he has a deep love for his son and even a soft spot for the niece and nephew of Ralph Raccoon. The henchmen of Cyril are the pigs, who appeared throughout the series. Never referred to by name typically, they are often bumbling and rarely help the schemes of Cyril. Schaefer, my personal favorite character, was a large sheepdog who was the friend of the raccoons. In the special, he was portrayed as slow and dim-witted, but in the series, he becomes one of the smartest characters and would eventually open the Blue Spruce Cafe, where he served as the bartender. His person is Dan the Forest Ranger, who is the caretaker of the Evergreen Forest. He is shown to be a single father in both the specials and series, with no mention of a mother for the children. 
The series was also able to hire the top voice actors in Canada at the time for its characters. Len Carlson, who voiced several voices, including Burt Raccoon, began his career in 1966 and would voice many famous characters, including Ganon in The Legend of Zelda, the Green Goblin in the original Spider-Man animated series, as well as in other productions including Beetlejuice, Donkey Kong Country, Rocket Robin Hood, and more. He also served as the Craft Canada TV pitchman from the 1970s to the 1980s, and he would pass away on January 26, 2006. Michael McGee, who voiced Cyril Sneer, primarily worked on various CBC programs including Yes You Can, The Real McGee's, and others, and he would pass away on July 15, 2011. Bob Demir would voice Ralph Raccoon and others on the show, and he also voiced Sam Crenshaw on today's special and Grump Bear on the Care Bears. Susan Roman is most associated with Melissa Raccoon, but she would come along in Season 2, replacing the previous voice actor from Season 1. In her career, she would appear on the Care Bears, Mega Man Legends, and she was one of the few voice actors to remain throughout the entire run of the Sailor Moon series. Marvin Goldhar voiced Cedric Sneer, but spent 40 years as a voice actor, beginning in 1963 and continuing until his death. He would voice Mr. Weatherby in the New Archies, and also provided voices for Star Wars Ewoks, Dog City, and the Care Bears. Schaefer was voiced by Carl Benance, who voiced several other characters. He had worked as a radio personality in Toronto, and also voiced characters on many shows including Babar. The show had a strong environmental focus initially, and it was never stated but most believed that the Evergreen Forest was located in British Columbia. The major theme of the first special, after all, was deforestation. And as the series went on, the number of environmental-themed episodes began to decline. This is likely because over the course of 60 episodes, it could be hard to find new ways for Cyril to do something to the forest. There were still environmentally-themed episodes, such as Power Trip, when Cyril Sneer tried to build a hydroelectric power dam. Another interesting aspect of the show is that the villains of the show tended to be animals that were foreign to Canada, including aardvarks, rhinos, and crocodiles. One of the most endearing aspects of the show was the music, which featured a new wave soundtrack including the theme song of Run With Us, performed by Lisa Lougheed. season actually ended with a different version of the song that was not performed by Lougheed, but later seasons would be recorded by her. The songs were enough of a part of the fabric of the show that an album would be released called Lake Freeze the Raccoon Soundtrack in 1983. A soundtrack album was also released after the fourth special. Lougheed was also a voice actor on the show, providing the voice of Lisa Raccoon, who is the niece to Ralph and should become a much more prominent character in season 5, after her first appearance in Season 4. She had received the job as a teenager after she was hired by Gillis, who was looking for a new singer for the show. 
1987, Evergreen Nights was released with Lougheed not realizing that it was going to be released as an album, and she thought the songs had only been used for the show. Her version of Run With Us would peak at number 8 on the Canadian Adult Contemporary Charts in 1988, and the song is also featured in many other different places and in other films. During the show's run, it would be nominated for several Gemini Awards, including for Best Sound and Best Writing. It would also win the Gemini Award for Best Animated Series. In 1990, Bert and Lisa Raccoon were also named the mascots of the Canadian Olympic team, although there were no Olympic Games that year. Over the course of the show, episodes were broadcast in 180 countries across the planet. In 2017, a CBC employee ran an unofficial Twitter poll to find the most memorable Canadian TV show of all time. After 400,000 votes were cast, Mr. Dressup would take top spot, but tied for 13th was not only another nostalgia show, The Beachcombers, but also The Raccoons. So could we see The Raccoons come back? Well, on July 4th, 2017, Gillis announced that there was a reboot in the works. Redesigned characters then appeared on YouTube on March 11th, 2018. Gillis would tell Global News, quote, I've been thinking about it for the last four or five years, but ended up spending a lot of my time developing interactive authoring platforms. Part of what's really driving me here is we've had so many people who grew up with the raccoons all over the world who have been saying, wow, I love that show, it was great, it was fun, why don't you do a new one? Because they're all raising kids now. End quote. Still near and dear to my heart. And very much so. In fact, if I ever get out of line, Cyril Sneer comes and gets me. One of the challenges that I'm going to have going forward with, with a new Raccoons uh, series or mini-series, whatever we end up deciding to do, uh, is, you know, where do you take Cyril? I mean, he's like the villain you just love to hate. You know, he was like, at that time, he was like JR. You know, you, you couldn't, you had to watch JR and you wanted to see what he was going to do, but you knew at the end of the day, you, you hated him, you really disliked him. But at the same time, you know, he was kind of interesting. Get the target demo that we're looking at right now would probably be in the five to seven. Kids always, you know, they always look up. They always age up to, you know, what they're watching on television. I don't want to be creating a show for five-year-olds that, that is really written for 15-year-olds. But I do think that there's a way to write a show for five-year-olds that... Uh, or six-year-old and seven-year-olds that they will get that the parents will sit down and it isn't saccharine or didactic. Apparently, a new special is scheduled for the holiday season of 2021 called When Raccoons Fly, so we may be enjoying a whole new series of the show many of us loved. And now we're going to go to my interview with Susan Roman, the voice of Melissa Raccoon. Um, now you came along in season two. Um, how did that come about that you came to the show? The only thing that I was told um, when I went into audition was that um, I would be, the audition was for a replacement for the character of uh, Melissa Raccoon and um, that the actress who had played her, I was told, um, had gone to LA I, I don't know, uh, and I don't, I think that it wasn't somebody from the production who told me that. Mm -hmm. I don't even recall who did. Um, but I never, uh, I didn't, uh, I, I never knew who actually played 
her in that first season, and I hadn't seen the first season, so um, um, I, I have no idea what really happened there. And um, I just went in and read, and, and uh, I had a voice reference, as I recall, um, and to try to sound as close to her as possible as, as her performance. And then that's how I, um, how I was able to uh, land the gig. I guess I sounded uh, somewhat <laughs> similar. <laughs> um, and what was it like uh, coming into the show and, and starting to, uh, to record and, and, and being with the show for, for so long, uh, for, I guess, four seasons? Uh, it was absolutely one of my favorite things that I've ever done because um, I really enjoyed... I loved the project, and I loved, um, there's a kind of a, a I'm going to call it a Canadian pace, and it's a bit slower, and it's gentler, and it's not just rock'em, sock'em, boom, 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 <laughs> numbers, numbers, move, move, like it's not, it's the total antithesis of that, and even, it, I mean, I notice that, especially now, um, when I look at um, episodes of the raccoons, uh, and I think, just it's so um, calming, and gentle, and it's not in your face. And there are lessons to be learned, life lessons that children um, would be happy to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that it just kind of it, it sneaks in sideways. So it's not preachy in any way, um, or it wasn't uh, preachy in any way. And I, that's what I really like about it is the, the ultimate Canadianness of it, if that makes any sense at all, mm -hmm. um, compared to some, you know, some other products uh, that are out there uh, that are, you know, very, very loud and very um, unsubtle. Um, this just had a, a really gentle, is I guess the only way to, to describe it, and. Um, even when situations got a little crazy and hairy and scary, uh, even then, um, it, it, it was done in a way that um, was not uh, meant to frighten children or to, uh, you know, it, it, was, it would be scary, but there was always an underpinning of knowing, it's, this is just on TV. This isn't really <laughs> real. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what I really liked about it uh, then. And um, I, I now that I'm I'm older, and have done very many more um, animated projects since then, I appreciate uh, the time and consideration that went into it. I, it's um, it's really something. It, I, you know, absolutely. It's Canada. got the staying power. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you, when you mention um, compared to other shows, like other shows around the time, say like uh, Transformers or things like that, that are very loud and and mm -hmm. you know. Uh, very in your face. Is it surprising that the raccoons was uh, so successful? Because it's it's essentially you know raccoons, a sheepdog. I don't know what Cyril <laughs> Sneer was. Maybe an anteater or something. I don't actually know. But um, are you surprised by the success? Because it seems like on paper, it seems like a show that shouldn't work. But for a lot of people, it really did work. Um. First of all, I didn't even realize while I was doing it that it was a success. <laughs> we're, we're always the last to know. You know, we just we go in, we do our our work to the very, very best of our ability, and then we just go home and think, "Well, I sure hope this one does well." Um, so it it's it it was um, 
a lovely surprise to learn that it was, you know, successful uh, and that it was appreciated by people. And it was on, I believe, in in some at some point, wasn't it on at night? Wasn't there? Uh, yeah, an, uh, Saturday nights, I think, is when it was on. Which is really unusual for a <laughs> at that in at that time. Uh, it was very unusual for um, you know a children's animated series to be airing at night. Um, you kind mm -hmm. of thought, oh. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> uh, those are for the children with absolutely no bedtime <laughs> requirements Apparently, whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> but I think it was on early, like probably seven mm -hmm. or something like that. So, um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was all good. What, what was the process like? In for you mentioned it's kind of more laid back. It's not go go go. Uh, what was the process like to to make the episodes and, and record and, and work with the other voice actors? Well, as I recall, we. Um, we recorded separately. Um, so I was very rarely in the studio with, um, with any other actors. And if I, if I was in the studio with another actor, it was usually Bob Dermer who played uh, Ralph. Um, but most often, you know, just in terms of uh, uh, expediency, um, the, uh, when you're doing, and this is of course original animation, uh, which is another rarity nowadays, but don't get me started. <laughs> so um, in terms of uh, trying to get the best use of time, um, the actors would go in, I would go in most often by myself and just record my lines sequentially. And then um, uh, this is where the director um, is so important, uh, reminding you that this has just happened, this has just been said, this is... Uh, perhaps the the reaction that you have right now is not uh, appropriate to the line that went before, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, that was based, it's, it's sometimes got to be a bit lonely uh, in the studio. Um, some, some animated series were done um, in, in an ensemble fashion. And that was just, uh, you know, just crazy talk because <laughs> it's... It's very, very difficult to coordinate all those voices and um, um, making sure that uh, you don't overlap. The big overlap was such a, it terrified me that I would accidentally, um, and this wouldn't happen in the raccoons, but in other mm -hmm. series where we were uh, recording all at the same time, uh, each track has to be clean. So if um, somebody is saying, how are you doing? Uh, you have to leave enough time for the engineer to close that mic and open up yours before you respond and say, oh, I'm fine. Um, so if you didn't leave that beat, uh, you might overlap. Your voice might actually be just trailing away at the end of his line and it would have to be redone. And so that was, um, it, it's, it's funny. It's like when I talk about stuff like that, people nowadays look at me like I, you know, I just came in from Mars or, 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 or Noah's Ark, like say what, <laughs> what, <laughs> but original animation was, um, gosh, it was so much fun. It really, really was because you got to, um, you got to create the character from the ground up mm -hmm. and it was your timing and your, it, it was, it was based on the pulse of your own heart and soul. Whereas when you dub something, you are literally taking over somebody else's timing. So yeah. if the character 
uh, had a line that you would read differently if it, if you were given your druthers. Uh, you're bound by the timing of the of the of the actor who played it before you in usually in another language. So you're really really constricted. Whereas with um, original animation, it's all yours. It's all yours to play with. And so if you want to leave an extra little beat in there uh, before you go, uh, you know, do you love me? Well, yes. If that's the way you want to say it, you can say it that way. But if you're mm -hmm. dubbing it and the other actor has said, has said it, well, yes, then that's, that's how you've got to say it. Right. right. So um, it's it's a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to dub in comparison mm -hmm. to having, you know, having the, uh, the leeway to be able to perform uh, the way you would like to perform. It's, um, it's an interesting thing. Um, in regards to to Melissa, uh, what did you feel she brought to the show? Because it had a lot of amazing characters. Uh, and but what did she bring to the show? I, I know it's kind of the voice of reason, essentially, but. Yeah, I, I, they, you know, zany land. Hello, a lot of zany zanies. So I, you have to have that balance, mm -hmm. um, and I think that was a really, really smart idea to just have some moments when it got toned down a little bit, and um, there was a little more. And you know, in 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 every situation, in every group of people, there's always going to be one person who says, "Now wait a second." <laughs> Before we go too crazy here, <laughs> let's think this through. So, so I, I, I like that, that it, it, it is kind of representative of real life it, in, in a way in the mm -hmm. evergreen forest, um, that there are different personality types. And just from a point, you know, a point of view of, uh, again, not making it this boom, 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 razzle dazzle, you know, throwing things at the screen. Uh, mm -hmm. kind of effect um, it was it was a really good idea to have a, a, a counterbalance to all the craziness that went on um, and even even you know Ralph was pretty uh, pretty subdued and low-key as well um, so that would I, I think that was that provided a good balance to to um, you know Cyril Sneer and um, <laughs> the other and the pigs and all the crazy <laughs> <Right>. cookie <laughs> all the it's funny i was just thinking i before i was getting ready to talk with you today i was just trying to remember all the actors involved and i thought i i think len carlson played half the characters in that show <laughs> it seems to me the talented uber 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 talented len carlson oh my goodness just oof, that <laughs> that kind of talent you know you just you can't believe it and you would you know you'd be standing in the room with him um although i, I rarely recorded with him but i mean i, mm -hmm. I worked with him in, on a, a lot of other things and it, you know there he'd be talking to you just as a normal person and then all of a sudden out would come some voice that was just not anywhere part of his regular speaking voice and he brought it up from his toes or something i don't know where <laughs> these voices came from because usually when somebody you know i i do other sounds and do other sounds <laughs> that sounds um <laughs> that sounds kind of tacky uh but i i can perform other sounds but he just had this ability to um it was like he was a hypnotist with his own voice 
And and when you heard him speaking, you had no, just in his regular voice, you had no idea of all the things that he was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And um, his, um, I, I do believe that at a certain point in his life, uh, when Mel Blanc was ill, uh, he worked for Hanna-Barbera. That's how good he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was able to recreate those characters uh, so spot on that it was, um, it was, as I say, it's, it's, it was almost spooky. <laughs> anyway, such a nice man, too. Mm -hmm. Such a really, really nice man. Um, along with, uh, I guess, a big focus on, on environmentalism, uh, what were some of the other messages of the raccoons that, that was trying to be conveyed to, uh, to children? Um, you know, uh, uh, friendship and support. That seems to me to come through uh, pretty loud and clear that, um, you know, all the scrapes that everybody gets into and all the... Um, the so-called it's not really evil Cyril sneer but the you know sometimes not so um, honorable <laughs> Cyril <laughs> sneer and, and and the effects that his behavior would have on on everyone in the evergreen forest all the characters uh, you know they would get angry and they would it was it it was reminiscent of a family I think and so children can can watch or could watch that and see how problems were solved uh, or not solved. But mm -hmm. by the end of the show, they were usually resolved. And that's, I mean, when I was a kid, that's what I loved about watching television was that you you knew, <laughs> you looked at the clock and you'd say, oh, okay, it's it's all gonna get fixed up right now in about four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just that sense, it's, it's going to resolve itself mm -hmm. and it's going to, it's all gonna work out and everything's gonna be fine. You know, it's, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but maybe I had that and they lived happily ever, ever after kind of emblazoned on my brain. And so when, when shows like that would, would resolve themselves so, um, so happily, it made me happy too. I mean, I just, I'm just remembering that as a child. I don't mm -hmm. know uh, if that, if you can, you know, extrapolate that to the raccoons, but I, I think you can. I think there's, you know, and also having the narrator's voice in there, that's, key mm -hmm. that is so important because that tells you okay kids you're going to watch a story and it's going to be fun and it's going to be funny and maybe a bit scary and maybe um people will get a little bit upset but at the end <laughs> everybody is still friends and just that narrator running th that sort of motif that mm -hmm. the, the the narrator which tremendous job by that I don't, I don't even know who did the who voiced the, the narrator he did a wonderful job um again the casting is just so canadian it's not <laughs> razzle dazzle well mm -hmm. you know let's get uh, well why don't we get uh, some you know famous uh, grade b lister movie star to do the narrator you know none of mm -hmm. that no we're going to get someone <laughs> who sounds exactly the way we think the narrator should sound right yes. so yeah that's what i yeah there's a lot of things to really admire and appreciate about that show absolutely um and, and kind of an extension to that uh, you mentioned that it's it's one of the favorite things that you've worked on why is the raccoon still something that people enjoy today, you know, a few decades after it's gone off the air? Uh, like I said, when I did a 
uh, I asked listeners what they wanted for another nostalgia episode. The raccoons was one of the more popular ones that came up. So why does it have this, this staying power that people even watch episodes on YouTube or wherever they can get them? I don't know if it's on CBC Gem, but uh, on, you know, on various places. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe certain things just have, you know what? I was going to say maybe certain things have staying power. One thing I think now is that um, because so much is available online, there is a, uh, an opportunity to be able to kind of recapture the favorite moments of your childhood or whenever, whenever you were watching the raccoons. You might have watched the raccoons uh, with your child. And now you're, and, and so it's associated with uh, good times, no matter. If you feel like watching it again, it's because it's making you feel good, perhaps in terms of the memories that it's evoking. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I remember this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we were watching this when, when Sally had the chicken pox. Not that kids get chicken pox anymore, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, everything uh, ties in to how it affects you from a memory standpoint, which is also an emotional standpoint. And, and maybe that's a safe place to go. And you can you can be nostalgic for you're allowed to be nostalgic. You're allowed to without seeming sappy. So you can't maybe sit and 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 shed a tear over something new, but you can shed a tear over something that you watched as a kid because well I, you know I'm just remembering oh I loved that <laughs> show it was so fun or um, I don't know I. I that's a that's a really good question. Maybe you should ask your listeners to to <laughs> to I let should. us in on what uh, why they are still um, watching. It would be it would be interesting to hear what they have to say. Absolutely, I think it's got that that uh, staying power. Like you said, it reminds people of especially for uh, people my age uh, who are growing up in the '80s. You know, it, it does bring back the memories of you know watching it carefree, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And so then we try and get back to that by rewatching yeah. it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, we haven't spoken about uh, Kevin Gillis. I mean, the mastermind, mm -hmm. uh, as I recall, he was at every or practically every uh, session um, that I recorded. And he was very, very uh, involved and um, committed to the show. And it wasn't just for face value or a job. You could clearly, clearly see the investment mm -hmm. of his heart that was in it. Um, and, and, and in fact, gosh, I think maybe there might have been, isn't, gosh, I can't remember, a, uh, an actual director, director, but I heard his voice in my headphones um, so often that I kind of think that maybe he was, uh, I don't know. I should I should look that up. I should have looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and all the music that he he's just uh, he's uber uber talented uh, person. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, that's you know what you asked you know that he he alone I think is responsible for the look and the feel and the sound of that show because he he was uh, very very involved in all the the different. Uh, um, elements of the show and how it, how it uh, looked, how it sounded. Um, yeah, so kudos to him. And no, I, no, hope, no. I hope there are sales all over the world, even as we speak. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurieanne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from IMDb, Active History, CBC, Run With Us Productions, Wikipedia, Global News, Canada Through My Eye, and Victoria Buzz. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.